visiting. It means a lot to worship with us today. Love Life is an important whole life partner of Open Door. Uh, as a part of our ministry to promote the sanctity and the honor of all human life, everyone who's made in God's image, Love Life for us is one of those key partners that uh, we join with in prayer and involvement. We would encourage you to do the same. We will be gathering this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So here, Wednesday, 7 p.m., for a prayer for the unborn and for the end of abortion. And then we will gather to uh, walk across the street from the Raleigh Abortion Clinic. It will be um, a time of prayer. And it will be a time when we join with other brothers and sisters in Christ and other churches to seek the end of abortion in our city and in our nation. It's hard to believe that we just passed the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. We are approaching the 50th year where the lives of millions and millions of unborn human beings bearing the image of God have been taken. And so join us. This is an important time of prayer. This is an important time of involvement. If you haven't been to a Love Life event, you, you'll be glad that you participated. So please do that. And there's uh, more information on the, in the Welcome Center as you're leaving today. You can sign up. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for praying for uh, what's going on in the Ukraine. I just received word this morning from our missionaries and our Pillar Network partners in Moscow that they've all been ordered to immediately evacuate. They, uh, the word I got was that things are escalating very quickly in Russia, and uh, so they very quickly had to leave uh, that nation. They are now safely in another European country awaiting next steps. Uh, my dear friend who is pastor in Moscow, uh, one of the leading Protestant churches uh, in Russia, uh, by God's uh, grace, sort of miraculous, uh, found his way to uh, get a ticket to travel here to the U.S. And I should be able to meet with him uh, tomorrow and Tuesday. Uh, please be praying for that. He needs a tremendous amount of wisdom. He leads a network sort of like um, I do, uh, his network there in Russia is about 100 uh, Russian Baptist churches, and he says he's just never been in a situation where things are so fragile. And so please, please be praying for Pastor Yevgeny and, um, and our, our time together. It, it's interesting if you think about it, if you'll find Genesis 15, Genesis 15. It's been four generations since war broke out in Europe. It's a long time. And back when the Soviet empire, if you would, sort of fell apart, there were uh, the establishment of nations and, and commitments that were made and promises that were made and oaths that were made to, to keep these nations independent and autonomous. Now we're watching all of that 
fall apart before our very eyes. Now we're seeing a a desire for a a reestablishment of an empire, to reestablish a kingdom into its former glory and the, the unity and the promise of peace that was once made now no longer exists. It happens all the time. Leaders and empire builders make promises and then they break promises for their own good, for their own desires. Friends, just to be honest, we're no different. We make promises sometimes that we do not keep. We make oaths sometimes that we do not follow through with, that we do not obey. And and at times even we make promises to God that we fail to keep. Have you ever done that? Made an oath to God that you didn't keep? Promise to the Lord? Today I want to show you from what I believe is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible and the surrounding chapters that it is by faith that we receive all the covenant blessings of God and that we should respond with loving obedience to all of God's commands. Genesis chapter 15. Now, every time I go to God's word, I I will tell you that these words are imperative and they are essential, but I, I do want to make sure you understand this. I believe that Genesis chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. In essence, it is all of the Bible, and it it provides the very things that you need to know in order to be saved and to have an everlasting relationship in covenant with God. And so please, please pay attention in your notebooks. Please take a lot of notes today as we now see the story of Abraham coming into fruition, Genesis 15 and 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abraham continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will have to be my heir. Now, Genesis 15 is going to set up for us both an essential doctrine of our salvation, namely justification by faith and by faith alone. And it is also going to promote one of the key doctrinal themes that stretches throughout the entirety of the Bible, and that is the theme of God's covenant. Now, the covenants of God are the backbone of the Bible. From its head to its tail, God makes covenants to his people. God keeps the covenants that he makes to his people, although at times the people that God makes covenants with fail to provide loving obedience back to God. And we've seen these covenants already. God made a a covenant with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
And Adam becomes the priest king of the garden and then the federal head of all of fallen and sinful humanity. God made a covenant with Noah. Noah, after the great flood, becomes the priest king of all of his posterity. And then, as you saw last week, God, God made a, a, a covenant with, with Abram. And then Abram, he, he is very fascinating. He, he meets another priest king named Melchizedek, who's a, who is the priest and king over Salem, which will become Jerusalem, a, a shadow, a, fore, a foreshadowing of the great high priest and king Jesus Christ to come. But now we see uh, Abram. And Abram is to become a, a priest king for a people that will fill all of the world. A great and a mighty nation will come to him, and it will be through Abram that the Messiah would eventually come. It will be through Abram that the covenant of God and his kingdom will be established forever. But, but, but Abram couldn't see it. I wouldn't be able to see it either if I were him because Abram is getting older and he has no child. So the promise of the nation was given. Abram couldn't see it. And he said, well, by custom, Lord, I, I guess I'm, I'm just going to have to give my inheritance to one of my servant's son. I'm just going to have to adopt a slave and, and give him my inheritance. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one will not be your heir. Instead, the one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said, your offspring will be that numerous. God told Abram he would not have to give his inheritance away. He said, I made a covenant with you, Abram. I made an oath with you, Abram, and I do not go back on my promises. And so he, he, he tells Abram to, to go outside and, and gaze at the stars. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 1 and, and verse 14, as God is creating all things, and he, he, he made the sun and the, the moon and, and the stars, and he said, these stars will serve as signs. And here we now see that the stars are serving as a sign to Abram. Try to count the stars, Abram, if you can. How numerous are they? So too will be your inheritance. So too will be the grandeur of your people, this great and mighty nation. God made a promise to Abram, an oath. That is his covenant, and our God keeps his promises. Yes, all of the promises of God are yes and amen to those who believe. And so just as, as God has is, is made these covenants, now he is, he is making this so important covenant with Abram, and he's saying to him, now you are going to be the father of a great nation, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. When God makes covenants, they entail blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. All of God's covenants, blessings for obedience, curses 
for disobedience. And, and when it comes to God's covenants, as we look at them, I, I, I want to summarize the covenant blessings of, of God with his people. So, beginning with, with Adam and now up to Abram, when God makes a covenant, he, he is saying that I promise you these four things. I promise you people. I promise you possessions. I promise you protection. And I promise you perseverance. And in return, what I'm going to ask of you is belief, worship, and loving obedience. And if you are in the new covenant, then that's exactly what God is asking of you, to believe, to worship him and him alone, and to obey out of love. So when God makes these covenants, and, and we saw this back in Genesis chapter 12, let me remind you, he, he, he said to Abram, I'm making this promise to you, I'm going to give you people. He says, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, Abram. And God said, I'm going to give you possessions. The land that I will show you, which basically would be the entirety of Israel that David would conquer. Canaan land. Israel will give you the land. Protection. God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And then ultimately, the, the blessing and the promise of perseverance or permanence. He says, I will make you into a great nation. That was God's promise. And friends, there is nothing more important than to be in a covenant relationship with God. It's the only hope that you have to be saved. It is the only hope that you have to make it to heaven beyond this life. And so it is imperative that you understand what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God, and it is imperative to know how you get there. And how you get there is both amazing and amazingly Simple, if you look at verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and then the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed in the covenant promises that God had made with him. Abram believed. That being a part of a nation, having land, being protected, and ultimately being saved, that God would keep him and that his, that his, that his faith would persevere. Ultimately, Abram believed in God's promise of salvation, and because of his faith, God declares Abram to be just. He was justified because of his faith. And God acknowledged Abram's faith. And it is by faith that Abram then becomes the father of all of the faithful. And if you have the same faith today, then you're a child of Abraham. 
Now, as we know, a Abram wasn't a perfect man. No, in fact, he was a sinful man. And yet he believed, and he was declared to be righteous. He was declared to be a righteous man because of his faith. A Abram was a normal man. There was little important or impressive, impressive about him, and yet he believed and he was declared to be a very special man, even God's own child because, because of his faith. Abram was a, a, a needy man. In fact, Abram, he says to the Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, unfortunately, without any child. Abram understood, I have no posterity. I, I have no way to, to establish this nation. I have no way to save myself, God. He was a needy man. And yet God declared him to become the spiritual father of every sinful, every normal, every needy person who places the same faith that Abraham placed in God. And yet, friends, you have an advantage. Because you know that you can place that type of saving faith in the very Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, God will declare you just. Just like Abram. If the Bible is clear on one thing, it is this. That salvation comes by faith and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Galatians Chapter 3 and 7, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Romans 5 and 1, we read this earlier. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It all happens because of faith. Justification by faith is the judicial means of our salvation. When God sees saving faith being expressed in that person who is now his child, he declares him to be righteous. This righteousness doesn't come from your own doing or your own making. This righteousness is received by the way of the righteousness of his son Jesus that overwhelms you and clothes you so that you will remain righteous from that time forward. The church built itself on the doctrine that salvation comes by faith in Jesus as a gift of God's grace. But if you know church history, you know that the church lost this doctrine for nearly a thousand years. The doctrine of justification by faith was lost, and the Roman Catholic Church decided that, that it would pursue works as a means of God's merit and favor of salvation. It neglected the Bible's teaching, and, and, and it introduced this works-based grace. In fact, every faith system except True biblical Christianity demands that you work for your salvation. Every faith system except those who affirm this gospel believe that God's mercy is not freely given, but it must be earned. But you recall that a part of the covenant promise was perseverance. And God was not going to allow his church to remain with 
without this vital doctrine. And so something happened that now we look back and we call the Great Reformation, and there were certain church leaders who just uh, got back to the Bible, and as they were digging in and reading it and, and reading Romans 5 and Galatians 3 and other passages of Scripture, they realized that, oh, no, we have got it wrong. We don't work out our salvation. There's, there's nothing that we do to merit God's favor or grace. It is something that is freely given to us. It is the just that live by faith. And so they then brought back this grand doctrine that they called sola fide or faith alone, which is simply this. The belief that everything that was needed for your salvation and your redemption was accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we simply just place our faith in Christ and all that he has done for us. It is, friends, by God's grace that you are saved through faith. It is a gift from God. And I need you to make sure you have your chronology right because Abram was justified by faith and not by works, and that happened prior to the law that was given to Moses, which means that every person, whether you are in the Old Testament prior to the covenant, ratified through the law, or you are an Israelite in the time of the law, or you are a New Testament, New Covenant person today, all people of all time are justified by God by one thing and one thing only, and that is faith, not by works. Don't look at your Old Testament wrongly. People of God have always received the grace of salvation as a and Abram believed. And we will see now Abram's belief being played out. Now, it doesn't mean that he, he's not still confused. It doesn't mean that he doesn't still struggle at times. But we are going to see his faith being played out now, verse 7 through 12. The Lord says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur, your homeland of the Chaldeans, and I'm going to give you this land, the land of Canaan, to possess. But again, Abram says, okay, I believe, but how am I going to possess it? And now the Lord says, here's how you're going to do it. I'm going to make a promise with you, and you're going to need to make a sacrifice to me. Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abram, he, he brings out these animals and these birds. He takes the animals and he cuts them in half. This is a gruesome covenant um, ceremony that's going to take place. So he, he, he takes the three animals, literally, and he cuts them in half and he divides them. And you can just imagine the bloody trail between the two pieces. And so now we've got the sacrificial animals and the blood of the sacrifice that has been laid out between them. And then something interesting happens. The birds of prey come down and, and yet Abram, he has to drive them away. And, and as the sun sets and it becomes dark, darkness and despair overwhelm Abram. And this is what the Lord says to him, verse 13. Know this for certain. 
Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will go out with many possessions. Moses must have soberly wrote this because, you know, as Moses is is writing down Genesis, he is on the other side of the 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He he had just now finished 40 years of, of wandering through the wilderness as they are overlooking the land that was promised to Abram, the land that was promised to the nation of Israel. And yes, the Lord is in, in, in this amazing ceremony. God is predicting what will happen to Abram's posterity. They will be slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And and yet the Lord says to Abram, you're not going to see it. Verse 15, "You, you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. And in the fourth generation, they will return here, right here in Canaan. Eventually they will come back, Abram, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure, meaning that the sinfulness of the Canaanites has still yet to get to the point where God can no longer take it and his justice will demand that all of the Canaanites be eradicated. And Joshua will do that. The Canaanites got to the point where their sins were as bad as the time of Genesis 6 when God, all he saw was evil in these Canaanites and their abusive women. They threw their children into fires to sacrifice them to the gods. The sexual immorality was rampant. And finally, when the sin of the Amorites or the Canaanites would be in its full totality, then God's people would come in and conquer the land once again. And then, as Abram is, is, is seeing this and hearing this in the darkness and in the despair, verse 17, something incredible happens. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And Moses writes, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I will give this land to your offspring. And he describes it from just beyond Egypt's borders all the way up north of of, uh, Israel or present-day Israel, the entirety of the land, all the land that the peoples dwell will be given to the children of Abraham. But I don't want you to neglect this. Two things are happening here. First, in the middle of the darkness and the despair, the Shekinah glory of the Lord comes down to the earth. Moses will again record this same fire as the Shekinah glory of God when he saw it descend from heaven onto the tabernacle, to that most holy place. The very glory of God was revealed. And then, something that 
I read this so many times, and I, and I missed it so many times, but I'll never miss it again. Abram did not walk through the blood. Now, in, in this, this is a custom. This would be an, an, an ancient Eastern custom when two people were making a covenant vow. They would take an animal or two and split them in half, and, and then they would together walk through the blood as an oath of one another that we are keeping this covenant. But I want to show you very clearly that it is God and God alone who passes between the divided animals. Now, what is God doing here? God is saying this. I commit to you, Abram, this covenant. And if I break this covenant, it would be to my own death. As a matter of fact, he's saying this. If this covenant is ever broken, I myself will die to make it right. I want you to keep that in mind. And then the covenant is affirmed to Abram. And friends, now we, we, we see this essential doctrine of our justification by faith. That Abram and everyone following Abram, if they have faith in God's Messiah, God's plan for their redemption, God will declare them just despite their sin. There's nothing that they've done. And they will be incorporated into the people of God, a covenant relationship that bears with it promises and blessings, but also demands belief and worship and obedience. Chapter 16. You know, it's interesting that when the Lord announced his covenant promise to Abraham back in chapter 12, chapter 13 shows Abraham sinning <laughs> out of fear. And in the very same way, chapter 16, now just after God declares his covenant promise with Abraham, we see Abraham and now his wife Sarai, Abram and his wife Sarai's of uh, their they, they, they sin, and, and they do not obey. <clears throat> and in first Sarai, chapter 16, verse 1, who had not born any children for Abram, she owns an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And Sarai says to Abraham, Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave, and perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram says, no problem. And he does. And sure enough, Hagar is found to be pregnant. And as, as soon as she becomes pregnant, verse 4, when Sarai saw that she was pregnant, she became very jealous. Her heart changed. and She became contemptible to Hagar. And then Sarai said to Abram, <laughs> this is classic. Imagine Eve back in the Garden of Eden, blame shifting. Abram, this is your fault. You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms and and, and, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord 
judge between me and you, to which Abram says, she's, she's, she's your servant. You do with her however you pleased. And at the end of verse 6, it says, and Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. And so we see, again, unfortunately, this, this lack of faith as to why Abram would, would allow himself to sleep with Sarai's servants, and, and Sarai, who also then disobeyed in, in giving her to him. And I want you to notice verse 7. I love this verse. And Hagar is pregnant, and she's fleeing, and she has no means to survive. She is destitute and in despair and in alone and alone. And the angel of the Lord found her. I love that. As she is fleeing, God is fleeing after her. And the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, a spring on the way to Shur. And he says to Hagar, he says, well, where have you come from and where you're going? And, and she says, I'm running away. My mistress, Sarai, is, is so mean and oppressive. And the angel says to her, listen, I need you to go back, go back to your home, submit to her as your authority. And then the Lord makes this, this promise to bless the child of Hagar. The angel of the Lord says, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and there will be too many to count. And, and when you have this son, I want you to name him Ishmael, which means God sees. For the Lord, uh, God hears. Ishmael means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. And, and then it's interesting, God gives a, a blessing to Ishmael, sort of like he gave a blessing to Cain, who would become like Cain, a, an empire builder, though would not bear the promise of the eternal covenant. He says he'll be like a wild donkey, and his hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him, and he will settle near his relatives. So God's protection and God's blessing, but, but not, not the everlasting covenant. And so Hagar then, she receives this word from the Lord in, in verse 13, she, she says to God, you are El Roy. You are the God who sees. He's the God who hears women in their distress and in their misery. She says, now I believe you are the God who sees because you have seen me in my despair. And sure enough, Hagar goes, gives birth to Abram's son and calls him Ishmael, and Abram was 86 years old when all of this took place. And this, friends, is why we participate in things like love life, why we stand across the street from abortion clinics and pray. That's why we do this. Because it is the mercy of God who seeks those who've been abandoned. It is the grace of God who seeks to help those who, who have been abused. It is, it is the love of God who, who, who shows love to the, the foreigner and to the orphan and to the widow, and to the unborn, the preborn, 
is the God who, who hears, cries of the preborn in the mother's womb as they're being killed. It is Elroy who sees life in the mother's womb. He desires that child to live. That's why we do these things, because we believe in the God who hears, and we believe in the God who sees. And Hagar becomes this, this most interesting character in the Scriptures for us. And even though we see a failure on the part of Sarai and Abram, chapter 17, we see a beautiful covenant renewal of them, if you look. Thirteen years later, chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram, who believes, falls down on his face. God speaks with him and says, As for me, here is my covenant with you, Abraham. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of nations or father of peoples. For I will make you the father of many nations. And remember, the covenant blessing, people, possessions, protection, perseverance. He just simply repeats those again. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant, my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession and I will be their God, the glorious God we have. That he would make this covenant promise with Abram. And then as he has once again reiterated this, the blessings of, of the covenant with Abraham, God decides to give Abraham a sign of this oath, a sign of this covenant and that sign would be circumcision. God also said to Abram, verse 9, As for you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, you are to keep my covenant. Remember, God grants the blessings of the covenant if God's people believe, worship, and give him loving obedience. So he's saying, keep, keep my covenant. Worship me, obey me. And this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between you and me. There's the sign. It's a really important word. 
every male, as soon as they're eight years of age, must be circumcised, and the circumcision becomes a sign of this covenant that God has made through Abraham with his people. It's a permanent covenant, you see, he says. And, and, and if someone is not circumcised, they will be cut off from the people of God. They will have broken the covenant with God. And so, and so sure enough, God makes this covenant. And then God says to, to Abram, because Abram, in essence, is saying, okay, I get this, God, but I still need an heir. Would you allow Ishmael, my 13-year-old son, to be my heir? And God says, no, I've already told you. Sarah will have a child. And, and as a matter of fact, just as you are no longer Abram, exalted father, but Abraham, father of nations, I don't want you to call Sarah Sarai anymore. I want you to call her Sarah because I'm going to bless her. I'm going to give her a son, and she will produce nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. And, and Abraham believes, verse 17, and he falls face down, <laughs> but he can't help to laugh. Because he says to himself, I'm 100 years old. My, my wife is 99 years old. And, and, and she's supposed to give birth to a son. I said, Lord, I've got a son, healthy, strong son. It's Ishmael. Just let him be acceptable to you. And God says, no, it is Sarah that will bear you a son. And you'll name him laughter. You'll name him Isaac. And I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. And listen, I've already agreed to bless Ishmael. And he will build a nation and an empire, but he will not build an altar. We don't have any record of Ishmael calling upon the name of the Lord, although Ishmael becomes the father of the, the peoples that we call Islam today. A great nation, a great empire. God gave to Abram and Hagar that, that blessing. And so after all of this, God withdraws from Abram. And Abram, now Abraham, takes Ishmael, everyone in his household, and he circumcises them all as a sign of the covenant. And now we, we see the story continue. God makes a covenant with Adam, he gives a sign, the sign is a tree. God makes a covenant with Noah as a sign of the covenant, he gives him a rainbow. God now makes a covenant with Abraham, he says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a global nation. So many people that you'll never be able to count them all. People from all walks of life, they believe like you will believe, and they will be my people. And the sign I'm giving you will be that of circumcision. Even though Abraham believed and circumcision became the sign of the covenant and it would be incorporated into the law of Moses, eventually the people of God would stop believing. They would stop worshiping. They would stop giving loving obedience to God. And the story of the Old Testament is simply that eventually God says, you, you violated my covenant. You, you, you've broken the covenant. I don't know what to do. You don't believe. You don't worship me. 
you don't love me. You don't obey me. So God in, in his justice and God in, in his holiness, he, he would allow Israel, the nation, to be taken captive. He would allow Judah to be taken captive and, and once again placed into the bonds of, of, of slavery. Remember our, our God, when he makes a promise, there's also the promise of perseverance. And it would be much, much later through the prophet Jeremiah that, that would say, even though the house of Israel has failed to keep its covenant obligations to God, one day Jeremiah predicted that God would renew his covenant with his people. Instead, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, those days of captivity, those days of suffering. This is the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The promise of the new covenant. And, and Jeremiah saw it. And after centuries, after Jeremiah, Jesus would come to us. Jesus would fulfill the law in his own life. And then Jesus would offer the new covenant through himself, his own sacrifice on the cross. And on that afternoon, just like what Abraham had experienced, it became dark. The world was full of despair. And the stench of death because of the spilled blood was in the air. And God kept his promise. Remember? It's God alone who walked through the pieces. It's God alone who said, if this covenant is ever violated, I myself will keep the covenant even if that means I must die. And he did. The Son of God went through the pieces on the cross. He died so that you might remain in a covenant relationship with him so that we also can be justified by our faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit then would usher in a new covenant relationship with us. It's why Paul says in Colossians 2 that there is a new sense of circumcision. It's not some outward sign that takes place on a person's physical body. But now circumcision is something that is inward, internal, and it happens in our hearts. You also were circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, uh, by the putting off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying now we, we enter into a new covenant relationship with Christ because of what he accomplished for us. 
And now the spirit of God circumcises our hearts and he writes this new covenant on our hearts so that it will endure and it will last forever so that all the promises, all the blessings of the covenant would remain true in us who believe. And in the new covenant, we have new signs. We have new symbols of our covenant relationship with God. And they are believers' baptism and they are the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, this, this is a sign. This is the new covenant symbol. In my, in, in my blood, he's offering us these things. Believer's baptism becomes that, that symbol that we have identified with Christ's death, that we have identified with his burial and resurrection. Believer's baptism becomes the initiation into God's family, the local church. And it is something that all those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, must adhere to and obey. And, and friends, if you have placed saving faith in Jesus and you have not been baptized, you are in disobedience. To delay is to disobey. And the Lord's Supper then becomes this ongoing symbol of Christ redeeming us on the cross. It becomes the, the regular meal that God's family enjoys with the local church. And we have these beautiful signs, these symbols that remind us of the covenant that we have with God. And then we, we live to establish his kingdom, to, to provide Father Abraham and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, a kingdom of peoples that extend to all parts of the world. And, and the promise of land has already been given to us, and heaven will be that land, and the protection will be there because in heaven God says, I will be your God, you will be my people. And maybe most importantly is the promise of perseverance. Because even though we are sinful, normal, weak people like Abraham, if you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you will endure. Your salvation will endure to the end. That's God's promise to you. And what God asks of you, friends, is simply this. To believe, to worship, to give him loving reverence. Let's pray. Father, if there's someone here today who, who has yet to believe, maybe today they see their need for salvation through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Father, we claim your promise blessings. We claim the, the new covenant blessings today. And as a church, we, we want to be on mission so that we can engage this world with the gospel. And Father, help us as we receive the blessings of the covenant then to in return give you worship and loving obedience. As you are a promise keeper to us, may we be promise keepers back to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.